0: Well, good morning. I'll say it again. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I was part of the Evergreen team that did participate in the Hood to Coast and uh, talking to one of the veterans who'd done this 24 out of the 34 times. It was the most uh, blustery of, of finishes with the wind and the rain, the gusts and branches falling. At one point, a race official talked to one of our team members and said, you guys can, can pull out of the race uh, and not be disqualified because it's dangerous out there. You're talking to 12 people who've sacrificed a day and a half. You're not going to stop running with a little rain and gusts in Oregon, are you? <laughs> people play football in the rain, right? Well, I was, I was sore because I had an easier race beginning, which was downhill, right by Mount Hood, then a flat one along the Willamette River, and the third one was going the rolling hills with a little up, and so it was the hardest one. And I was a little sore, not trying to sh- show it, thinking of, of a, a military adage that says, pain is weakness leaving your body, right? And I said, "Well, I got a lot of pain leaving my body right now." But there's a sign that I saw on Van that I think explains how I feel. So if you see me walking, it said, "It's not a swagger; we're just sore." <laughs> so if we're limping around, it's not arrogance or pride. It's it's that uh, humility of knowing that we accomplished something difficult. Well, uh, we are finishing a, a summer series, and uh, how many of you are ready for your kids to go back to school and the routine of things? Yeah, they may not be, and. Um, our, our son, Noah, who's four years old, uh, his prayers change in the summertime. He uh, will, will pray at night before bed and he'll say, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for our family. And help tomorrow to be another fun day. And I said, how many of you pray for fun days? <laughs> no, no. So that's soon going to change. No more fun days. He said, help me to sleep well because I have school tomorrow and homework and those kinds of things. So the end of summertime and, and those kind of fun things will change for the kids soon. But we're wrapping up our summer series teaching on life lessons on the road. And tonight today we're going to talk about doing hard things. And through this summer, we've looked at Paul and his life through Chronicles of the Book of Acts, who was this persecutor of the church, antagonistic towards Jesus and his followers. He has an encounter with God, and then he becomes radically transformed to being a biggest proponent and advocate for the church and following Christ. And with various messages, including what Jared talked about, doing, being in hard places where we learn to pray first, Thank God in all situations. Think about what is true and noble and then do. Sometimes we get those out of order. Anne talked about wisdom decisions. Hearing a word from God, welcoming people into the wisdom of God we process, and then having the peace of God. Brad lost, we talked about goodbyes as Paul leaves Ephesus, and now we're going to talk about doing hard things as we finish this summer series. It's hard. How many of you ever said life is hard? Yeah. For young kids, it could be homework and chores, that's the extent of life being hard, to various challenges that we face in sickness and relationships or transitions in life that can do that. All those various emotions. And here we look at Paul. We're going to read his his story. And his life kind of parallels Jesus, and some theologians say, because here he is at the end of his life. uh, He receives this call to go to Jerusalem, which he knows will be difficult. It'll mean imprisonment. And it's similar to Jesus when he knows, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die on the cross. And it's a similar parallel of these two men who are given a task of doing something difficult and eventually costly to their life. So today we're going to read the story of Paul, how he's able to do a hard thing. And so let's read together from Acts chapter 21. After we had torn ourselves away from them, them being the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, we put out to sea and sailed to Kos, The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them for seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including their wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went on board a ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage to Tyre and landed at Ptolemais where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we'd come, been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took his, Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this same way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be persuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Here's a map of uh, the, middle, the area he traveled. In. After reading the story, I thought, kind of, a, kind, of cru- kind of a cruise itinerary. He goes from this place to this place. And he's stopping here, probably did a little excursion in that city, and, and one day here, and they're unloading cargo, uh, and quite a bit of travel going on there, seven days in entire one day in Ptolemais, and a number of days in Caesarea. At the end of chapter 20, Paul receives this call that he's got to go to Jerusalem to suffer. And the previous part of his life, in the first several chapters of Acts, Paul is traveling all over in his first two missionary journeys. And he's finding places that need encouragement, places where he can make his best contribution to plant churches, strengthen leaders, put in elders, see what God's doing, and report it back to other Christians who would be encouraged from his testimony. And as in chapter 20, God says, let's put the shackles on you. I got specific instructions for you. You gotta go to Jerusalem. He goes, I know what that means. That's hometown. I would not be welcome there as now a follower of Christ who was once a persecutor. They think he's a riotous person who causes insurrections. But he was undeterred from his message. In fact, we see, if you continue to read Acts, you realize things went from good to worse for him. He was shipwrecked. He went through all kinds of light-threatening situations. And even in the midst of that, he has a where thought to encourage people to turn to God while they're drowning. And says, God's gonna save you. A side note: I would think, and maybe you start this the sentiment that sometimes when, when things are going good, you feel like, man, God loves me. I'm blessed. I must be doing something right. And when challenges come, that it fast quickly dissipates. Like, God, what's going on? Did I do something wrong? Do you still love me? I'm going through this horrible situation that others are not going through. Where are you? Paul's example says that's not ever the case. You can go through hard things, and God still loves you. He's still with you. In fact, the old adage says, I heard his quote that said, uh, sometimes God calms the storms in our life, and sometimes he just calms the disciple. I'll be with you. You're not alone. We want the storm to go away, but sometimes God says, I'll show you who I am in the midst of doing something hard. Because you'll learn who I am and you'll grow. So what would Paul say to us from his example of how we can endure going through hard things? Maybe not suffering like him. Not going to some place and being imprisoned. You could think of your own blanks. The first thing he would say is focus on your mission. Your God-given purpose. Start with the basics of your faith. In Acts chapter 20, 24, it's a verse that Elizabeth and I hold dear to us. It's kind of our family verse. Paul said on his heart that his life goal was to let everyone know about the extravagant grace of God. He was so touched in a literal way, being a persecutor of God, putting people in prison, putting people to execution because of they're not following God the right way, that when he experiences God, not only is he forgiven, but I would measure in some great degree he was able to forgive himself for that and said, I'm going, to let, I'm going to make it my mission for everyone to know what I've experienced from God. I was the greatest hater of Christians, and now I'm the biggest proponent. And if God's forgiven me and I've experienced grace, I want everyone to know. He goes, that's my purpose. I am out to let everyone know through my life how great God is. Persecution, house arrest, that compares in no way to what I've experienced from God, and so that's not going to be an issue for me. So what does he do? He obeys and pursues God. Now, it's easy to fall to our ways of self-preservation. In our backyard, we have a table that we've eaten lunch numerous times throughout the summer. And we'll have a nice spread out there. And my kids will want to go inside because there's one yellow jacket flying around the table. And they've gotten stung, so it's all about self-preservation. We've got a great meal in, but we're going to run inside because there's one little yellow jacket. So dad put up a little wasp yellow jacket container to draw them in about 35 in the past few weeks. But if there's still one more, we run. Or at least my kids run. The kids run inside. We're brave, right, Listen, We, we, we have a default of self-preservation. I don't want to get stung again. No one likes that. When he obeys and pursues God. In fact, his obedience and our obedience makes room for God to become greater inside of us. When we say yes and follow God, it actually creates more room because we submit to him. Interesting story of a woman named Agnes Gonksha Bonjaksin, an Albanian from the Czech Republic, born 105 years ago this past Thursday. Born in a well-to-do family, she lacked nothing. But in 1928, she committed her life to God. Her family was religious. A year later, she moved to Darjeeling, India, where she became a high school teacher. There she began to help kids who were little learn to read. In the process, met with her families, sometimes who were ill, and began to help them. Transitioning to seeing the death and dying on the streets of Calcutta, she began to care for them and grew a mission that became named Missionaries of Charity, which over her lifetime opened 570 homes for the death and dying in 125 nations. Asked why she served the poor her real name that we know by, Mother Teresa. She said, every time I look in the face of a death and dying person, I see Jesus. I don't see someone suffering. I see Jesus. I'm called to serve Jesus, so it's easy for me. And I remember this reporter asking like, I couldn't do what you're doing. And she had to look like, because you don't choose to. If you saw Jesus in that person, you would do this. Just obedience. We could say she had all the sacrifice. She had all the needs of her life. And she said, no, I'm, I'm serving God. And one thing led to another, from high school to kids to the parents to the death and dying. And Jesus, you're right here. i got to help you. And her obedience spread to 570 homes with numerous, countless thousands of people saying, I'm going to follow her the way she follows Jesus. Because I don't want to be about something. I want to obey God and open my life and let Him be bigger inside of me. Paul, the same heart. My obedience makes room for more people. I'm going to do it. Suffering won't stop. In fact, suffering can help others see Jesus. Paul's conviction strengthened others, and he was compelled to preach the gospel. In fact, we see later down in the road if you read Acts that he gets imprisoned, he's in jail, he's suffering. And while he's in prison, he's writing letters to his churches. We have the prison epistles, Corinthians. He's in prison suffering, and he's writing letters to other people, encouraging them in their faith to hold strong. They hear about him in prison. He says, don't worry about me. I'm fine. Jesus and me are fine. I'm locked up in chains, but I'm free on the inside. You can be free too. In fact, we have the scriptures we're reading this morning because of Paul's life, his suffering, the challenges he went through and how he went through are an example for us 2,000 years later. Suffering can help us point to Jesus. And he, was convi- he had a co- conviction about that. I like Rabbi Zacharias, a, a Christian apologist, wrote this. Opinion is really just a preference we hold. But a conviction is something that holds on to you, rooted in your conscience. And you cannot compromise your conviction without re- redefining who you are. There's probably things we all have that are convictions that if, if this is violated, the core of who I am changes. Paul says, I am convinced of Jesus. And if I were to compromise anything, fear, suffering, then who I really am on the inside is going to be changed categorically. He says, I am certain of Jesus. Obedience, suffering, none of that will change because I am convinced of what he's done for me. So Paul was moved for the clear mission, his relation with Jesus. Jesus. But along the way, he needed help. And so the second thing we're going to talk about today is developing, for Paul's example, develop a community of spiritual friends, a community that forms around a shared mission. Following God does not mean that we just come to worship like we did this morning, live our lives for him, receive his heart, and go to others. It requires us to go to other people and become engaged in relationship with them, with other Christians. And we see in the story, everywhere Paul goes, he stops in these towns, whether seven days, one day, a number of days, he stops and he's surrounded by friends, spiritual friends. They're not, they don't have affinity by location where they're from, their culture, the background. He's looking for disciples, follows of Jesus, and he and he falls to them, they they gather to him. In Acts chapter two, this word is called koinonia. It's a word we get uh, called earlier fellowship, which is kind of an old word. I, I think of potlucks with cookies and things like that, and I fellowship, Paul, when I think of Codinia. But it literally means to share, a community that shares something in common, or spiritual friendships, I'll call that today. Paul's talking about spiritual friendships, and I want to focus on that for a minute. What do they have in common? Paul meets these Christians in Tyre, seven days, their falls of Christ, a relationship begins. They have a common mission, Jesus. Evergreen, our church, we have a mission. It's quite simple. To help people find and follow Jesus. That's what the Bible's about. If you're here, you're gonna learn our mission is to help people find, if they're on the way of seeking and trying to pursue faith in Christ, you'll find them. And if you're here, to continue to follow. How do we do that? We've talked about those things. Love, we love people, we win them to Christ, we help them grow their faith, and then they go, here, near, and far. And for followers of Jesus, our 4G network, we call it, God, have a relationship with God personally, through his word, prayer. Second, to gather, are we doing Sundays? This is so important. There's things that happen when we gather in church on a Sunday morning like this. We cannot get on our own personal time alone. Something happens here that we cannot get on our own, and that's why we gather. Third, you'll hear about in a few weeks, we're going to have a groups fair, end of September. Finding ways to connect beyond Sundays in smaller groups, life groups, affinity groups of men and women, to connect and share our lives, and then to give of our time to serve in children's ministry and ushers and our abilities with camps, give of our finances, support the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. So if you hear, that's what we're about. Similar to what Paul was out. I want everyone to know about how gracious God is. And I won't stop at nothing for that. He has community forums with long-term friendships. Paul just made an emotional goodbye at the end of Acts chapter 20, where he'd been in Ephesus for three years with these people that he had preached to, taught. And if you read verse 1, it said they day to break, their, break themselves apart. It was so emotional. He had long-term friendships. So the need and want of friends is not a sign of weakness but maturity. A lot of times like, well, I don't need friends. I'm okay. No, you do. You need friends. Your need for friends is important. You were built this way. You know how you know that? In Genesis 1, 2, 3, you see the story of Adam and Eve. After God creates the world, the animals, he creates Adam. And Adam's charged with being a steward of greatest upper-level manager in the Bible, Adam. Naming things, organizing things, being in dominion. After the fall, all kinds of problems happen. But before the fall, God says... This is not good. Adam, I know you have a perfect relationship with me. We are good. We walk and talk each day. You need a friend. You need someone to enjoy me, enjoy creation. So I made Eve. And she is part of you. She's your wife, and you're going to begin to procreate and fill the earth. But together you're going to walk with me. And it said they walked together in the garden with God. God said, a man can't live by himself. He has to have a spiritual friend or a partner, someone to enjoy God and share him with. Of course, then they sin and it breaks the relationships and we see brokenness that come into our world. It starts in Genesis. God said, before the fall, the only need that man had that didn't have a result of the fall was spiritual friendship. It wasn't like, well, the world's broken you need friends. No. God said, no, no, no. When things are perfect, you will still need spiritual friends to enjoy life with. You may say, well, I don't have friends. I made some personal choices or some sins that I, I'm in shame and I, I can't do that. I want it, but I don't know how. Or maybe you chose not to need friends because you've been hurt before. You've opened up to people who broke your trust. Maybe you've moved, moved away and lost some friends. You realize you're, you're on your own. After t- chapter 20, Paul says goodbye to people he knew for a long time, or you moved, it's hard to connect, or being older. Elizabeth and I know two years ago we moved here from Everett and had a great relationship with there, and uh, you guys were kind enough. We know I'm a San Francisco Giants fan, and, and our kids were like, Dad, should we be ducks or beavers? And I'm like, go ask, go ask our new friends. And I thought, if this church was all ducks, Duck fans, imagine how limited we'd be not having the influence of all you spiritual beaver fans. There's so much to gain both ways. and Yeah, we made a decision. We came here. This is our new home. This is our church and community. We want to and need friends. And it was difficult. Any of you move, you know, it's difficult to start over. You gotta kind of default to friends you've had in previous places you've lived, which are valuable. But for our kids and for us, it was important for us to invest here. And we've been blessed. We've gotten to know people in our community, invited into church, and they're coming as well. This is a place, a safe place to begin to cultivate or grow spiritual friends. Not just those that have affinity by the place in life, favorite teams, but sharing faith. You know what's important? When Jesus thought it was important. Here's God coming to flesh and he said, I need friends. I want friends. He chose 12. 12 disciples, men to follow him. And no knuckleheads. They didn't get him. They frustrated him. They thought... How can I benefit from being aligned with Jesus? Because he's got this miracle power stuff. Who's going to be in charge when he's gone? He's going through hardship. He shares his heart that I'm going to suffer. They don't, they're like, what? No, you're not. I'm on your side. I'm not going to go through suffering. He's about to, to die. He's in the garden praying. He's like, come with me. And they all fall asleep. Felt alone. And it wasn't until after the resurrection that they got it. They understood what Jesus was about. He goes, I trust you as my friends. Now you're going to go represent me. You are no longer servants, you're friends. And so I'm going to send you out to represent me. Which means the less you want or have friends that are spiritual, spiritual friends, the less you can grow to become like God. You need those who know Jesus. You may decide you don't need friends, you don't need accountability, or you're afraid of being accountable. But I've learned a very important lesson while scuba diving. We all get excited when we're on vacation. We put on a gear. And we check our regulators. And I never hear anyone say, hey, you know what? This O2 thing called oxygen is just wonderful. The trees need it for photosynthesis. We need air to grow crops. My lungs just feel so full of air. I never hear anyone talking about that. But the moment you go to water and you don't have air, you notice it. You see it's really important. And the same thing in life. When life takes you into water and you don't have friends, it's too late. You need them before. They should be cultivated. I've had calls from people in the community or attenders and, hey, pastor, can you pray for me? I'm going through a crisis. I should love to. Who are you connecting with? I don't have friends. I kind of live alone. I've made a few mistakes. I'm like, oh, I feel sorry for you. You need spiritual people to hold you. Not that are necessarily bigger than you, but walking with you who can support you in times of need. How sad it is when someone calls and says, I don't know anybody. I don't have any. Pushed everybody away. through my choices. Because I'm trying to figure it out myself before I can get better, before I can need friends. And I said, you're too late. Therefore, choose to let yourself need people, spiritual friends in particular. When you're in your trouble, it's too late. Third aspect is community creates room for new friends, and that's what we benefited from being new to the area two years the fact that you guys would, many of you who are long-term Oregonians, would say, "Hey, we love you. Come on in." This church is not a closed group of people that once we fit, fill it up, we're done. It's constantly people coming in, old and new and back. The church entire was not planted by Paul. This one he visited for seven days. He didn't know them. They weren't very important. He just kept looking for people that knew Jesus. And so they were, while they're loading the cargo, after a week with him, a bond is created. And when they leave, they gather at the beach and they bow to their knee and pray. What were they bowing to? They're bowing for God. I've seen young kids, including our children in school, and they come back and there's drama between friends as they're constantly reassessing their relationship. Um, well, I don't know how, how much of a friend she is and, and she said this about me and I, I think, what's their friendship based on? So I'll ask, what, what's your friendship? We just chose to be friends. I said, if the goal is... The friendship, it'll, it, it'll rip you apart because you cannot focus on something that you're trying to create. And Tim Keller says this, friendship is not about friendship. It has to be about something outside of you. It has to, you have to have a common purpose greater than just the fact that we have a relationship. Otherwise, you're constantly focused on are we good or bad? How are things going? And so Paul says we knelt on the beach because God... That's what we have in common. Not that we're in the same town. Not that we speak the same language. We can be together because God is the center of our relationship. That's what we bow our knee to. There's people here from that are Argonians, people from other countries. There's people who've been here a short time, long time, wealthy, poor. We don't bow before wealth. We don't bow before what state we were born in. We bow before Jesus, and that's what makes us one. Paul says we're spiritual friends because we bow our knee to him. We're grateful we came to Evergreen. I'm still a San Francisco Giants fan, and my kids are like, Dad, what school do we go to? Um, well, when you go to University of Oregon, because uh, this is your, and son, uh, I think you'll be going to OSU because you're more science. Um, and we'll get your opinions about that and talk to you along the way. But that's not the basis of our relationship, Right? You move ahead. When you start over, come to a new place. Uh, If you're visiting with us, we'd love to have you here. Find a place where you can connect and grow. Third is share your life with others. Relationships take work. Paul says, same mission, community of relationships. Cultivate these spiritual friendships. Requires honest communication. They come to the beach after a weekend and say, Paul, you can't do this. You can't go to Jerusalem. Second point is he says, share goal of seeking unity in God's will over personal. Paul shares this. These people who have known him for one week say, no, you don't. We love you, too, much. you're not going to Jerusalem. And I'm amazed at Paul doesn't say, do you know who I am? I'm the Apostle Paul. I've started hundreds of churches. I'm a bishop. I hear God. I prophesy. You can't tell me what to do. So be quiet, you young Christians over here. Because in your relationship, he says, bring it on. I want to hear what you're to say. You're important to me. You may be a young Christian. You care for me. I want to hear it. I welcome your voice in my life. Honest communication. Fellowship. And there's different perspective. They say, you can't go. He says, no, I'm going. They say, no, you shouldn't go. They, he finally says, listen, don't break my heart. I care for you already. And I welcome what to say, but... My mission is to go specifically to Jerusalem. And what do they say? Okay, not our will. If it's God's will, go ahead. It's not our preference, but go. And what does Luke day? Luke, it says he joined them in saying, Paul, don't go. And finally he says, okay, Paul, he says in a verse, we will go to Jerusalem together. I'm going with you. Even though I know when I get to Jerusalem, I'll be associated with a fugitive. They're like, oh, you're that guy who got arrested, who causes riots. Luke says, I have the same conviction, the same God, the same mission, and I'm his friend. We're going together. It's all look throughout. Pastor all the time. It says, we, we, we. Paul says, I'm with him. He goes to Jerusalem. They warmly received. He helps bring parchments for Paul to write some of the scriptures. He makes sure people come to bring encouragement to him. For his physical needs are required. Luke says, I'm in with him. I don't care about my reputation, what happens after this. Share what you have. Philip opens his house and shares hospitality. His four daughters, he raised four godly daughters, so there's hope for me. I can raise a godly daughter. He's got four daughters, Philip has, that prophesy and they hear God. And theologians say, at least a couple of these daughters lived long enough in their lives that they had enough information at the church. They helped the apostles write the Bible and give information. These four women who at a young age knew God Grew up, and they helped the apostles give information about the history of the church. Even this passage on Luke. Share faith, bow before the same God, kneeling on the beach to before God. What do you kneel before? At Evergreen's great right pictures of this with the various places we're from, people who are new to Christ, people who've been walking with Christ for decades. That is why we prioritize coming together on Sundays. It's important when you're here. I benefit. We benefit together when we come together on Sundays. That's why we get together in groups to know people, to share life together. That's why we give our time, talents, and treasures. And I remember in college, I was part of a small group for a season for two years. And my roommate and I were 21-year-old college students, and we get to this home group. And there's three families with kids, 10 and under, a couple grandparents, some professionals in there. In their mid 40s, and my room, like, we don't fit here. This is not our group. I said, well, let's give it some time. After a few weeks, we realized, we don't want to hang out with college students. There are a couple families and people in here, they have a relationship with God that I want to find out what they have. Because they have something, a poise, a character of God that I want to get to know. Over the next two years, we got to know these families, we got to hang out with their kids, we got to share our youthful zeal from learning in Bible college. And I became so much richer because I was in this group. I never would have picked these people as my friends. They're just different. But when we got in that room, we talked about our struggles and prayer requests and share life. I was so blessed. They cared. And they gave me room to care for them. It's the importance of having that relationship. So for Paul, who said he's willing to suffer, he saw himself first as a Christian. God had forgiven his past. These kind of relationships are available at Evergreen. You can't find spiritual friends necessarily outside church. You can find good friends that will play sports with you, play music, family and life, but if you want to grow, you need spiritual friends. One of the reasons you may not have friends is because your relationship with God is off, and you can make that right today. You're like, well, make it right. Choose to follow Him. And make friendship with God more important than with people. If you do that, It'll change you from the inside out. And in decision making, welcome people in. Notice Paul didn't make decisions on his own. He made a decision, welcome people in. It stood the test, it would proceed. But I've I've talked to people, said, I've i just I've heard from God and I decided this, I'm doing this. And I said, What about I've decided? Like, well, I care about you. Paul let people come and talk to him and press him a little bit, ask questions to make sure it was God. Because they cared. And people who shut off the others and say, no, you can't speak to me because God spoke to me. Well, I speak to the God as well, and we care, and let's, let's talk this through. So they're not autocratic decisions we make when we're in community, relationship with God and relationship with others. The scripture in Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. There's a greater return on their, on their, their labor. If one falls down, the other one, pity the man who doesn't have someone to help pick him up. And for, I just want to talk for a second with guys. Coming up in September 23rd, we're, we're in, when we launch our groups, we're doing a men's fraternity. It's a study for six weeks early morning on authentic manhood, looking at the life of Jesus in his 33 years, of what were the marks that made him an authentic man. And I want to invite you to become a part of the little small group squads that we're going to have for six weeks. We'll be from 6 15 in the morning to about 7, 7 So you have to go to work early. You can be dismissed. But a chance for us to, to learn, discuss together, connect for just the six weeks. And you'll have more information in the next week for sign-ups, but I would encourage you, if you have time in your schedule, make it a priority to be there. We don't do too many things like this, and I think uh, what I've learned from doing this in the past and for other places has been beneficial to me and to many, not to teach, but to hear things, talk them through, and apply it to our lives. So I hope you consider that. Beginning Wednesday the 23rd, early morning, uh, series 33. So as we close... We asked the question, how was Paul able to focus on doing a hard thing? He was, he, you may not be tempted to go to jail for your faith, but there's other things you're called to do. Maybe it's just being a friend. Maybe it's forgiving somebody. He was focused on his God-given mission. Secondly, he drew strength on, from spiritual friendships, old and new. They're both needed. Old friends that we know and places people here. Maybe you've had a hard time connecting, like, I don't know. I'll just call my friends back in. No, you need to contribute and be a part of here. And third, he shared his life and his hope with others. At the end, he says, that I won't, Chuck 20, he says, I won't see your face again, Ephesians. He doesn't say, I'll never see you again. He says, I'll never see your face again. Why? Because spiritual friendships are eternal. They last forever. This is the beginning of what heaven's going to be like. And no other religion on the the planet offers or promises or guarantees that our relationships here on earth will last for eternity. Paul says, I may not see you again, your face, but we'll be together someday. Closing questions. How are you living a life with mission in your relationship with God? Are the next steps you can take to grow in that mission of either living out your faith, growing your faith and connection? Second, is there a friendship to repair? Just thinking about that. In this room, there might be people, you're like, you know what? I've got a broken relationship with this person, and I need to fix it. God help me. And you'll decide that I need, I need to take action steps on that. Third, who are you a spiritual friend to? Or do you recognize your need for them to engage or to let them in because you need accountability? Don't wait till you fix things up in your life because you never will. Make room today. And fourthly, what can you share of your life with others? Let's pray. As I'm talking, I'm just going to make room for those you'd say, you know what, Rick, it starts with my relationship with God. I need to meet right with God. I don't have that. I've been made personal decisions. I bow to something else. And to this morning, I'm just going to ask, for, give you an invitation to say yes to Jesus. You're going to say, I know that I'm a sin. God's died on the cross for my sins, and he's paid for my forgiveness. And you're not going to wait. you want to say, today, I want to surrender my life. I'm going to bow my knee to Jesus. And if you want to open your heart to Christ today, I just simply ask you to, to raise your hand and let me agree with you in saying, yeah, I, I, I need friendship with God first. That's where I, I need it before I do anything else. Is anyone here, just raise your hand, wave at me. I can see you. Look across the room. Yes, great. Greatest decision. Father, this morning we come before you and we thank you for Paul. An incredible man who let God change him. And now we're asking that you do that in our, in our lives. We want to love you more. We want to follow you more. We want to say with our lives, Great are you, Lord. That you have access to me, to each of us. God, we want to open our hearts to spiritual friendships. we never thought of that before, that we need other believers, brothers and sisters. Not to exclusion to say we, we're going to bunker down. No, no, no. We need people to have similar hearts to be able to encourage and go forth and challenge that we grow and and grow as disciples so we can encourage and love on the world around us. And Lord, we want to share our lives, what we have. So Father, today make us those like Paul who can do hard things because we know you. Give us grace as we forgive and move forward in the name of Jesus.